Lord, we just want to come into your presence. Just bask in that richness of your presence amongst your people. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to us. That, Lord, we would have ears to hear that which the Holy Spirit would speak unto us. That we'd be sensitive, that we'd be in tune. Uh, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we washed in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord, for your cleansing power. Thank you for your grace that you extend to us, Lord, who are weak. Lord, who, who stumble from time to time. And Lord, we just thank you for your great love and your mercy and your grace that we can come into this place, Lord, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Purified, cleansed, set aside for holy, sanctified. And so, Lord, we, we do ask and pray that you would minister to us that there would be an outpouring, Lord, not just of the words of men, but, Lord, there would be the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Take, take these words, I pray, I offer them up to you, Lord. And I pray that you would break them, set them on fire, Lord, make them, make them relevant to our life and burn it within our heart and spirit. Lord, speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. The last few weeks we've been looking at a, uh, the, the aspects of the spiritual man and how God is working in us, changing us, transforming us. How many had a great week? Yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Good to walk in the presence of the Lord, isn't it? Amen. So we've been looking at how the Holy Ghost works in us and is transforming us and, and making us like Christ. That's the ultimate goal, isn't it? That we become like Jesus. And so uh, we want to see how uh, we can cooperate and work with the, the Holy Spirit. And we do that by feeding on His Word and walking in obedience. And God does the rest. God does this amazing work of transformation. When I look back at my life, think of what I was and how God has changed me. I'm so grateful for the change. And you would be too if you knew my knew me of old man. <laughs> I was very violent and, and people didn't like me and for good cause. But uh, God has changed my life. So anyway, very, very good to know that God is transforming us, working. He's making and molding each and every one of us into the image of Jesus. Philippians 1.6 actually says this. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. God is working until he comes back for his church, the, 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 the glorified bride of Christ. He is working in you and I. And that, that Greek word, uh, uh, work, is, is the word ergon. It's where we get our, our word energy from and or power. And so it literally means to labor, to work, or to toil. And so here we have this picture of God taking his bride and working and laboring on her, toiling hard to make us into the image of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. And God says, I'm going to do that until the day I come back for you in perfection. When God's happy with his bride, when God's done the work that he's going to do, he's coming back for the church, a beautiful bride without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. So the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and in my life. And all we need to do is cooperate with Him. You know, read your Bible and obey what it says. And God will work and give us a heart. And so uh, one of the things I, I always ask the Lord is, Father, please give me a love for your word. Please give me a love for the things of God. You know, if, if we're constantly praying that God is working in our heart and in our life. 
Today's characteristic that I, I want to share with you is one of, uh, it's imperative really for the child of God. It's the characteristic of integrity. And it, it's something that every man, woman, and child of God needs to have. Integrity uh, is um, probably nothing more important than the child of God being a, a person of integrity. Mm -hmm. And integrity means to be honest, truthful, sincere, trustworthy, reliable, moral, and upright. <laughs> It's a, it's a tall order. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. To, you know, if we say I'm going to be there at, at 10 o'clock, then we need to be there. That's, that's been uh, absolutely uh, consistent with what it means to be a person of integrity. So we need the Holy Spirit to, to work within us. You know, sadly today, I think, how many people are in hell today? Because they've come to the church and they've looked at the church and they, and they, they look around and, and they say, these guys... You know, they're, they're no different from me. You know, they, they, they talk a good game, but they don't live it. They, they're, they're pretty much the same as I did. Once they leave church, they, they live pretty much like the world, you know. If you were to ask the world for one word to describe the church, what do you think it would be? Disjointed. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, Absolutely. Disjointed, yes, absolutely, but hypocrisy, I think, is the biggest one that the world charges the church with. And so, how tragic is that? What, what a travesty that that's the way the church is perceived. So, it becomes now our job as men and women of God to change that perception. If we're going to have any credibility in, in the world today, we've got to show the world that we are not hypocrites. Can I have an amen? amen. It's really important that we understand that this is, uh, this is the trust. We need to change the perception. And so we need to work extra hard when dealing with, with, with our unsaved friends to show them that we are living the life that Christ has called us to live. And in fact, there's a beautiful picture of a man who did just that. And he was just a man. And that's why I want to look at it. In Job chapter 2 and verse 3, God and, and Satan are talking. And, and God's very proud of, of Job. And he says uh, in, in Job chapter 2 and verse 3, And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect Blameless would be a better translation. I think the NIV has got that uh, better. A blameless and upright man, one that feareth God and assureth or shuns evil. And he still holdeth fast his integrity. That's the Hebrew word tumah. And tumah means to, to be a person of integrity. To be a, a man of character and honor. And when I say man, obviously I'm including you ladies, okay? So it's, it's really this whole concept of um, we're going to be a people uh, of integrity. And certainly Job was just that kind of man. He was blameless and he was upright because he feared the Lord. I think that that's one thing that the church has lost sight of in these last couple of decades is the fear of God. And as a result of that, we see a proliferation of sin in the church and apostasy in the pulpit. And it's because we do not fear the Lord as we ought to. God is a loving Savior, but He's also our judge. Can you say amen? 
And we've heard so far, the pendulum has swung so far to the side of grace, mercy, and, and, and forgiveness, which is wonderful. And yes, those are attributes that we must proclaim. But we must also proclaim that He is judge and He is Lord of all. You know, it's really important that we come back to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 16 and verse 6. This is how we fix the situation. We, I, I don't know if you've seen uh, this week that the Church of England has now sanctioned gay marriage and, and uh, there's a big division that's going on in, in the Church of England currently. How do you get rid of this apostasy that's creeping into the pulpits? Proverbs 16 and verse 6 tells us, By mercy and truth, iniquity or sin is purged. So we've got, to, we've got to proclaim the truth in love. We're going to say, hey guys, you know, this is wrong. This is sin. And God's judgment will fall on the church that actually uh, condones this thing. You know, we, we, need to, we need to be truthful and we need to be merciful and, and hold them accountable. And it goes on. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Get it out of the church by mercy and truth. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Men depart from evil by the fear of the Lord. And I think that that's really important. The fear of the Lord will stop sin, hypocrisy, and uh, you know, apostasy. It will enable us to walk in integrity. We've got to come back to where we fear the Lord, honor Him, and, and, and worship Him with all our hearts. There's another picture that, that God gives us about a person of integrity, and it's found uh, in, in the book of Kings, First Kings chapter 9. And the context of this is that Solomon uh, was, after he finished building the, the temple of the Lord and establishing the royal palace, God appears to Solomon. How incredible is this, you know? And he shows him how to walk in integrity and the blessings that integrity uh, are bestowed upon those who walk in it. 1 Kings chapter 9 and verses 4 and 5, it says, As for you, God speaking to Solomon, As for you, Solomon, if you walk before me in integrity, that's the condition. If you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all the commands and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. What a promise. God saying to, to Solomon, if you walk in integrity, if you honor my word, if you're obedient to my word, I will establish your throne forever and ever and ever, eternally. What a promise. What a reward for those that are willing to walk in integrity. Those that are willing to embrace God's commandments and embrace his laws and live by them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So obedience, I believe, is one of the fundamental parts to integrity. Obedience. Lord, help us to be obedient. I don't know about you, but it's very easy to talk about integrity. Mm. It's very difficult for me to live this message. <laughs> I try daily. But you know, I need the Lord's grace. I need His help so that I can be everything that integrity is. How about you? Am I, am I just the worst of sinners here? Oh, thank you. Some of you are nodding your heads. Praise God. Hallelujah. But obedience to the Lord and His Word is a fundamental part of integrity. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 7. 
says, He layeth up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to them that walk in integrity. Did you hear that? He is a shield to them that walk in integrity. When, when we are honoring the Lord, when we are being obedient to His commandments, when we are walking in God's ways, God says, I will protect you. I will protect you. I will be a shield to you. You know, when, when we're walking and honoring the Lord, as David did one time, God said, I'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. The key is obeying the Lord and loving the Lord and drawing close to Him, feeding on His Word and, and making it part of our life and, and living, living that out. It becomes really important that we do that. So God will defend and protect us when we walk in integrity. You know, many years ago, I used to work in, in the tobacco industry, um, and it was quite challenging because if there was ever an unsaved group of people uh, that you could wish, the biggest bunch of sinners, it's the tobacco industry. Uh, there's so much, it's legalized drugs, it's a legalized addiction, and, and because of that, there is masses, millions upon millions and millions. I used to spend, personally, spend a million dollars a week for the company uh, buying tobacco. Um, I had a staff of 250 people under me. I ran a factory, and they, they were accounting me, accountable to me. And the one day, we were engaged in a, uh, a discussion with the directors. And the directors came and said, you know, this year's crop is, is super high because there'd been a drought in the country. And so there wasn't as much good tobacco available as there normally was as a result of the drought. And, and prices were sky high because... The, the lack of supply meant that the demand was greater and the prices rose. And the directors actually said, what we'll do is we'll mix in last year's crop with uh, this year's crop and nobody will be any the wiser and we'll make a killing. Inside my spirit, I, think, I don't like that. It, 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 I, don't, I don't even know whether it's legal or not, but, but I don't like the principle you know, that's a bit deceptive. I mean, that's, that's the very least you can say about it. Amen? That, that, that's a deceptive practice. And so I, my conscience was being pricked, and I, I thought, I, I've got to say something. But I was nervous as anything. How can you go up against the directors? I think, man, these guys might even fire me for this. Man. So I was really nervous, and I, I went up to the directors, and I said, um, excuse me, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to be as, as humble as I could. I said, please, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm unhappy about this. I'm a Christian, and at the very least, it, it, it seems a bit deceptive. And suddenly it was like the tension in that room was, you could have cut it with a knife. And after a few seconds, they all burst out laughing. And I said, it's, it's okay, we understand, you know. My job safe. <laughs> it was really a stressful time. But praise God, you know. And so that, that they they didn't put the, the the tobacco crop last year's tobacco crop in with this year's tobacco crop. I found out later though that they did put it in on the night shift when I wasn't there. <laughs> you know, I believe God protected me in in that circumstance. They did what they wanted to do. And, uh, but my conscience was clear because I said, I can't be a part of that, you know. And so uh, it, it was, uh, God, God protected me. I thought I was going to lose my job. But it was soon after that that I, I left uh, that industry and went to train in seminary. But I, I came back after being in seminary and I was preaching uh, at, at a, 
a church. Um, I used to run two churches at the same time, about 100 kilometers apart in Africa. And I'd get up early in the morning, go and preach at the one place, and scream 100 kilometers back to the other, and I'd take another service there. And uh, I was telling, uh, at, at the first church, I was telling them the, the story about how I felt very uncomfortable and had to uh, challenge my, my bosses over this issue about the last year's crop. And there was a man in the congregation that was, uh, I, I could see, he was just latching on to every single word I was saying. And there was conviction written all over his face. And uh, he, he came to me, he said, God has spoken to me, but I, I'm really nervous. So I said, well, you know, what is it? He said, my boss, my factory boss, uh, he, uh, they, they uh, worked in the factory producing bags of flour, one kg bags of flour. And the factory boss had come and ordered him to set the, the weight of the 950 grams. So you weren't getting your full kg. Now you think about uh, saving 50 grams on every bag when you are producing hundreds of thousands of bags. You are saving an astronomical amount of money. And he was convicted and he said, please pray for me. I'm, I'm really don't know what to do. So I prayed for him. And uh, the next week when, when I went back to, to see him, he was beaming all over his face. And I said, hey, you spoke to him, didn't you? I said, what happened? He said, yeah, I did. He said, I had the most terrible night. I, I didn't sleep a wink. I was absolutely terrified about confronting this boss. And, uh, but he, I kept on remembering what you said. And I thought, man, God, God will protect me as well. And uh, he said, he went to the boss and he said, I'm sorry, I just cannot do this anymore. It, it says a kg there and we are, we are shortchanging everybody. And his boss suddenly became incredibly apologetic. He was, I don't know whether he suddenly realized he, he had been uh, convicted of fraud and that there was jail time in the offering or what, but he said, oh, no, no, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, yeah, that was wrong. Put it back to a kg. So yeah, everybody got their kg of flour after that. But you know, I believe that that's God's protection. And sometimes we need to stand up in the spirit of love and just say, hey, listen, I can't do that. I know that this is your policy, but I can't do that. As a Christian, I need to be a person of integrity. So don't sell your integrity. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9 says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes the crooked path will be found out. What does the Bible say? That be sure your sins will find you out. Amen? But if you're walking in integrity, you have no fear because you're doing the right thing. Proverbs 28 and verse 6 says, Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. There was a, 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 a businessman who was getting on in years and he was looking uh, to retiring. And he was looking at the company executives, and they were all incredible choices. Uh, they, they were, it was so incredibly difficult to think, who am I going to pass the company on to? He said, I need to think out of the box here. And so uh, he, he, he had really an inspired idea. And he called all the executives together, and he said, uh, he said uh, I'm getting old, I'm going to retire this time next year, and I'm going to choose the next CEO from this bunch of executives. And so that everybody was incredibly excited that the, the, the next CEO was going to come. He said, I'm, I'm going to give each one of you a seed. 
and one and this seed represents the company i want you to look after it and, and plant it and water it and uh, make sure it gets plenty of sunlight and and, and fertilizer you look after the seed uh, because it represents the, the company and we will meet back here in exactly one year from now and uh, there was a guy by the name of Jim who was really excited about this whole prospect and he took his, uh, his seed home and, and he told his wife about the project and she was very excited. She was a, a person with green fingers and she said, well, let's, let's work together. And she found a pot and it's got some compost and, and uh, soil and they put it together and uh, they, they planted the seed and Jim was faithful to water it. He made sure it got just the right amount of light and he looked after it and, and weeks went by. And people at the office were beginning to talk about, hey, you should see how my seed is doing. It's growing. It's wonderful. But poor old Jim, his seed wasn't doing anything. Hadn't even broken the surface of the soil. One month went by, two months went nothing. Everyone is talking about how their seeds are growing. Six months go by, and absolutely zero. And, and poor old Jim is absolutely devastated. He just knew that he had killed his seed. Everybody was talking about how great their, their, their seed was and uh, this was going to be a wonderful thing. And uh, anyway, the, the year was finally up and everybody was asked to bring in the plants which, that, which represented the company. And uh, they said, okay, we, we bring. Poor old Jim um, said, I'm not going to bring my pot plant. It's, there's no plant, it's just a dead, just a pot full of soil. And his wife, bless the wife, wonderful wife that I have, thank you, sweetie. Um, but the, his wife encourages just, just be honest, just you know, be a person of integrity and just tell everybody what happened. And of course, on that day, everybody comes in and there's these massive plants and flowers and shrubs and everything, and he comes in with a dead pot of soil, and everybody laughs at him. And there are, there, there are a couple who felt sorry for him, but, but his, the majority of colleagues were laughing at him. You know, you dope, you know. And so uh, they, they call the executives together, and Jim, uh, you, you probably can identify him as, went and hid himself right at the very back with his dead pot plant, or just dead soil, if you like. And uh, the chief executive officer came in and he said, look, uh, today is the day that I'm going to choose one of you to succeed me as the CEO of the com company. And just as he was saying that, he happened to notice Jim at the back of, of, of the group of people with his empty pot plant. And so he says to the, the financial officer, bring Jim forward. And you can imagine what he would be feeling at the end of the day. Oh, I'm going to come forward with my dead, my dead uh, uh, amount of soil. And, he, and, and he, so the, when he's standing in front of everybody, the CEO says, everybody sit down and, and, and yeah. Jim, what happened? Why haven't you looked after this? He said, I, I did everything I possibly could. You know, I gave it the best light. I gave it food once a month. I, I, I fed it. I watered it continually. He said, but nothing ever grew. And he's, he's thinking, well, if that's the way you look after the company, I'm probably going to get fired. Chief Executive Officer turns to the rest of the executives and he says to them, I want you to understand who your next CEO is. It is Jim. Jim is going to be the next CEO. Everybody said, but he couldn't even grow a, a pop run. You're going to give him the company? Why? What's going on? He said, when I told you that the seed represented the company, I didn't tell you that before you got your seed, I had boiled those seeds 
uh, forever. And I put them in the microwave. They were as dead as dodos. And what you did is when your seed didn't grow, you got a like seed and you planted it and replaced the seed. Jim was the only one with integrity and the honesty enough to come and bring me his empty bowl. And because of his integrity, he is going to become the next CBR. Hallelujah. You know, God is a way of rewarding the righteous when we do the right thing. Um, you know, I could, I could just see Daniel, you know, one of the prophets doing things like that because they walked in integrity. Can you say amen? amen. So, you know, I kind of think we all have values, but our values are different. Nobody's the same. They're kind of like fingerprints. We all have them, but nobody's values are the same. And we need to make sure that we are walking in integrity and doing the things uh, that we do because we leave uh, our fingerprints over everything we do. And so we, that, that's where our values are. So integrity is doing the right thing even if no one sees it. And that's really the test. Doing the right thing even when nobody sees it. That's what integrity is. Integrity means acting honorably in all things and being a person with a noble heart. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm preaching Amen. better than you amening this morning. Yeah. I know it was a late night last night, but okay. Do you remember growing up, there was a phrase you heard everywhere. Christmas crackers, every, honesty is always the best policy. Yeah. If I heard that once, I heard it a million times. And I'm sure that, that, that each and every one of you can identify that. Amen? Mm -hmm. Honesty is always the best policy. You don't hear that anymore. Morals and ethics were important to our generation. And they are still of paramount importance. If the world doesn't value them, God still does. And that's why it's important that we have morals and ethics. Integrity means, again, to be honest, truthful, sincere, trustworthy, reliable, moral and upright. That should be the, the picture of every Christian. When people look at us, do they see these characteristics um, in, in our life? Now, I want to speak to you about Robin Hood. Is that okay? I know you came to church to hear about Robin Hood, but Robin Hood said something incredibly profound, and I've loved it, and ever since I've heard it, I've used it in, in, in my messages. Robin Hood said this, Nobility is not a birthright. It's found in one's character. That's amazing. You know, how many of the aristocracy have messed up? You know? So, so nobility um, is, is not a birthright. It's found in one's actions. And if we are, are noble men and women, it will be manifest by the things we say and do. We'll be people of integrity. So nobility is not found in a birthright, it's found in one's actions. A spiritual man is a noble person of integrity. The next point, and we have, this, is, this is going to be my last point, but the spiritual man is a selfless man. And um, I just thank my wife for um, being the most selfless person um, I have ever come across in my entire life. I couldn't believe it when I met her. I thought, I have to marry this woman because uh, she, she was just so wonderful. She still is wonderful, you know. And she's taught me so much about the selfless life because I was probably one of the most selfish people you can imagine. And I thought, I can't let this selfless person get away because I'm going to miss out on an incredible blessing. Anyway, that's, that's by the by. You know, selflessness is a hallmark of the spiritual man. Okay. 
They, they, the selfless think of others before themselves. Philippians um, 2 and verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Selfish ambition is when we become the focus of our life. You know, when we say that's where we start off, you know, it's, it's all about us. Uh, but as we grow in the Lord, we've got to start to think about others. That's growth and, and in selflessness. Um, you know, so often it's, it's what we need. What can I get out of? What's in it for me? It's, it's uh, my hopes, my dreams, my desires. And you know, there's a branch of Christianity that focuses exclusively on meeting those needs. You know? And it, 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 it's sad. That, that those are truth. God does want to bless you and He does want to prosper you. But that's not the whole message. And we dare and focus on just that particular aspect. We need to preach the whole counsel of God. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, you know, the, the, the culture that we're growing up today is, is very selfish, incredibly selfish. It teaches us, hey, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit in the can. You know, it's, it's, hey, it's, I'm going to do everything for myself. It's self-centered. Jesus is our example of a selfless man. As we look at Jesus, his, his, his uh, ethics were diametrically opposed to what's going on in the world today. Jesus came to give his life as an offering to save us. He came uh, as a selfless sacrifice. He was thinking of others. He put our needs before his. Thank you. We, we can do this too. We can do this too. Uh, there's a beautiful picture of selflessness uh, found in the story of Joseph. And uh, it, it's, I'm going to condense the story well because I'm sure you all know the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers were planning to, to kill him. And uh, Judah thought, hey man, we, why kill him? We get nothing out of it. There was an Ishmaelite caravan going. We can make a few shekels on the side. Let's sell him into slavery. And so being a good businessman, Judah convinced the others to sell uh, Joseph into slavery. And uh, you know how years later, because of the famine, God had raised up Joseph to a place of power, second only to Pharaoh himself. And uh, his family came down. And Joseph was blessing his brethren. And there was on one occasion, Joseph instructed the, the, the men to put uh, Pharaoh's cup into the sack of wheat that the, 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 uh, the children, were, his brothers, were, were taking back to their father. And because of this, they come and, and, and Judah, uh, they, they stopped and they confronted. They said, somebody stolen the king's cup and we're checking everybody. And uh, of course it was in Benjamin's sack. Benjamin being the youngest and, and his father was doting on him. And, and it's Judah. You can see the change of heart that God has worked in Judah. Because now Judah offers to uh, take his brother Benjamin's place. He said, look, you know, and why did he, he know no way of knowing that uh, uh, Benjamin didn't steal Pharaoh's cup. But he offers to uh, give his life in place of Benjamin. He offers to become a substitute for his younger brother Benjamin. And what a glorious picture of the atonement. The first, one of the first pictures we see of the atonement coming through. That uh, here Judah is offering himself as a sacrifice. The just for the unjust. It's so a beautiful picture. And it's, a, it's really, uh, this selfless act is the scarlet thread uh, of redemption that runs through the pages of, of the Bible. It's really the forerunner of our elder brother Jesus who uh, 
paid for our price, who was willing to assume our guilt, bear our penalty, and suffer uh, all the consequences. I'm so grateful to the Lord. How about you? Amen. God did all that for us. He willingly took our punishment. Thank you, Jesus. How selfless is that? And we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. How much more should we be able to be selfless people than, than Judah was? Because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the Holy Spirit teaching, helping, and laboring, and toiling. And oh God, He's working in, in us. Uh, his, his wonder to perform. So let's, let's allow the Holy Spirit to make us conscious of others. Robert Arthington uh, lives in Leeds. And he had a very promising future, a path to the very top. He was a graduate of the prestigious Cambridge University. And uh, uh, yet he lived in a one-room apartment. He could have had a penthouse. Uh, he could have been the captain of salvation. But he lived uh, in a one-room apartment and he cooked his own meals. And Robert gave 500,000 pounds to missions. That's, that's a million New Zealand dollars. And he said, I want to give you this million New Zealand dollars on the condition that it's used to start new churches. And he wrote later, he said these words, Gladly would I make my floor my bed, a box my chair, and another box my table, rather than men should perish for the want of the knowledge of Christ. What a sacrificial life. What what glory of thinking about others. He could have been a, a, a wealthy man, lived a very comfortable life. But he gave all that away. The selfless action honors the Lord and really is the fruit of God's presence in his life. People don't do that unless God's working in their hearts. Amen. Amen. And so we see that, that that's really an incredible transformation. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 24 says, Nobody should seek his own good. Ow! Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. That's the work the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us. Um, I, I, I wasn't going to tell you this, but uh, we, we are still celebrating Valentine's Day. <laughs> Every day since Valentine, we've been having Valentine's Day. We've been doing little things for each other. Uh, just and say, hey, happy Valentine's. And we're just we're just trying to share the love uh, love with one another and encourage one another. Trying to be uh, less selfish. And uh, it's, it's my wife is just absolutely amazing. This is for your fourth year. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm hoping it might become a way of life. So far, it's only been a few weeks. <laughs> but you know, it's, it, uh, we're enjoying this this Valentine's Day, isn't it? Mm. Hallelujah. So. I believe that one of the priorities that we need to be dealing with, saying, Lord, help me to be conscious of others. Help me to be about your business instead of mine. Help me to, not to be so self-centered. But Lord, give me a picture of what you want me to do. I want to know that I'm fulfilling God's plan and purpose for my life, for the, re the reason that he created me. So that needs to be a priority. I wonder how well we're doing in that. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, and I'm reading this from the Amplified Version because it, it really is quite powerful in the Amplified. And Jesus called to him the throng, and with his disciples said unto them, so he's speaking to everybody present, if anyone intends to come after me, let him deny himself, forget, ignore, 
disown, lose sight of himself and his own interests. And take up his cross. And joining me as a disciple and siding with my party, follow me continually, clearing steadfastly to me. That last phrase is how we do that. Clinging steadfastly to Jesus, hanging on to the Lord and allowing God to have His way in our life is how we are able to pick up the cross. You can't pick up the cross in your flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to be crucified. But if you'll stay close to the Lord and keep drawing into His presence, God will be enable us to do that. We can forget about ourselves, ignore, disown, lose sight of yourself and your own interest. Uh, the selfless life. Note this word that I read to you. The word continually. <laughs> Following me continually, cleaving steadfastly to me. This is not a one and done. Okay? You can't do a, a, a self-sacrificial deed once and think, okay, I can move on. God says you've got to do this continually. And, and we, he, we can only do that in the strength of the Lord. And that's what He's trying to do within us. God wants work, a work of grace, but we hold so tightly onto to self-control that's very difficult. But if we let go and let God, it's amazing what will happen. So I believe the Holy Spirit is always trying to make us conscious of others. Uh, and He's trying to do that on a continual basis. You know, there's a plaque that was unveiled at McGill University in, uh, in Canada, uh, in Montreal, to be specific. And it's really a plaque about selfless love and a courageous work under great affliction. And it, it concerns a man by the name of Thomas Stewart. And uh, he was injured while playing uh, with a knife and uh, he damaged his eye. And the specialist decided that they, they should uh, remove the eye in case the, uh, it became, the other eye became infected. He said the safest way is to remove the eye so that you at least will have one eye that's functioning. And when, when Thomas uh, came to from uh, after the, the anesthetic, they discovered he was totally blind. The surgeon had removed the wrong eye. And as a result now, he was totally blind. And his brother, William, came to his aid. You know, the story is that Thomas wanted to study law at this university. And so William became his eyesight. And they, they, he read all, the, all the, uh, the, um, the, the law books and the statutes and uh, everything to his now blind brother. At the end of the year, the final examination, incredibly... The blind brother came first, and William second. But they lived a life of sacrifice. I don't know whether William wanted to study law or not, but he studied law to help his brother. He laid down, and from that moment on, they were bound, they were inseparable, because he was going to constantly need William's help. Let me just read a scripture to you that, that I find incredibly Powerful uh, when, when dealing with this, this area or aspect of selfishness. And it's found in James chapter 3 and verse 16. A very important scripture. It says, Where you have envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder and every evil practice. Evil flourishes around selfishness. 
When we are selfish, we are opening the doors to the demonic realm. The Bible says that there, there is disorder in every evil practice. Not some, not just a few, but every evil practice flourishes around selfishness. It opens the door to the prince of darkness who brings death and destruction. And you know, this was really epitomized in a story, one of my favorite stories uh, was by Ernest Gordon and it has to deal with the Second World War and these guys that were taken prisoner in a, in a Japanese prisoner of war camp and the, the, the treatment was absolutely incredibly harsh uh, and it was really traumatic. It, it, men were starving to death and they, they were really struggling and uh, the, the whole story was about a man who gave everything away and how it changed the entire situation of the camp. But let me tell you what was happening. First of all, these were the men that built the, the bridge over the river choir. And the guys, as they, as they laid asleep on the bridge, just at the, the bridge, there were over 700 sleepers that were laid just on the bridge. And they were said, a man died for every sleeper that were laid. They were brutalized, they were tortured, they were, they were starved, and, and they were absolutely, uh, they were starving to death. And it was a dog-eat-dog mentality had, had crept into the camp. Greed and the need to survive was overtaking the Allies. And they would literally steal from their comrades and cheat one another and fight over food. Men would sleep on their packs in order to safeguard them. And yet they'd wake up, their pack had been stolen and everything inside it. Because they were that desperate for food. And this is, this is actually a true story because uh, you know, survival actually meant everything. And it didn't matter how you survived or who you wronged as long as you survived. It was incredible. Selfish, savage, barbaric world uh, was the law of the jungle uh, where evil prevailed. You would steal from your comrade who would then die of starvation. Until Angus McGilvery came on the scene. And Angus uh, was a big, strong man and everybody kind of figured that he would be one of the last men to die uh, in this camp. But incredibly, Angus died quite early in the process. Now, you need to understand something uh, about what was happening in, in the camp. Angus was a Scotsman, as you can probably get it from, from his Christian name. And he belonged to the Argyll, a very proud Scottish regiment. And they operated on the buddy system. And many armies operate on the buddy system. You pair up with somebody and you look after one another because you've got to have eyes in the back of your head. So you protect one another at all costs. And Angus was very serious about his buddy system uh, being, being uh, uh, one of the Argyles. And so uh, they, they called their buddy uh, a mucker. And uh, that's uh, so if he and I are buddies, you'd be my mucker. Okay? And so they, they decided right from, right from the outset, uh, Angus decided that his mucker was not going to die in this death camp. There was death all around him. And uh, the only problem was that his mucker was just about on the point of death. And so Angus went and saw that... that uh, uh, he, he was exposed to the element. Somebody had stolen his blanket. This is a sick and dying man. Somebody stole his blanket. So Angus went and took his blanket and said he'd found an extra one and he gave his blanket, his shelter, to his mucker. And he was so weak that he took his food and he gave his food 
to his mucker. He was determined that his mucker would, would recover. And just about the time that, that he, he was recovering nicely, Angus suddenly collapsed and died. And, the, and everybody was really shocked, not the fact that, that, that he died, but why he died. And the diagnosis was that he died from starvation and, uh, uh, and exhaustion. He had done everything that he possibly could to, to ensure that his mucker survived, even at the cost of his own life. When that story became known to the, the, the rest of the, 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 rest of the uh, POWs there, it impacted them so dramatically. It, it began to change the way that each of them thought. And they began, instead of stealing from one another, this act of selfless love, this act of self-denial, actually found a place in their hearts. And, and convicted men who were living in a dog-eat-dog world, suddenly they started to look after their muckers. Suddenly they started to take care, and, the, and humanity came back to the camp. They started loving and caring for one another, and helping one another. And they began to, to pool their talents. One, one guy uh, uh, was a, a cabinet maker. Uh, another guy uh, played the violin. Another prisoner of war actually happened to be a conductor. And so before long, the cabinet maker was making instruments and they, they developed this orchestra in this POW camp. And they said, why are you doing this? Because they said, we want to have church. And so they, they formed a, a, a choir, a church in the prisoner of war camp that was so powerful, so anointed, that even the Japanese prisoners, uh, Japanese uh, uh, overlords, came and attended the service and were deeply moved. Some of them actually gave their hearts to Christ. There was such a change in this mentality because of Angus's sacrifice. They started the library, they started, uh, one guy was a professor, he started a university, and they had all this. But they started a church, and it was a powerful church, where they started loving them. They were, they were, they were trying to show love to their uh, oppressors. It was powerful. One man's act of selfless love and devotion changed the entire atmosphere of that prisoner of war camp. You know, when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, God, have your way in us. There's no circumstances we can't change. There's no environment we can't affect. There's no person that we can't influence by selfless love. Look at the selfless love of Christ. Look at what Christ is. Murderers, prostitutes, thieves, all kinds of criminals and, and uh, despots have been changed by the selfless love of Christ. This is a powerful principle. And if we will embrace it, we can, we can affect change in our families, in our work environments, wherever. Selfless love. It's not easy. But remember the Holy Spirit is working in us until the day of Jesus Christ. And if we will submit and allow God to uh, minister through us, then we can affect our world. My last scripture, Hebrews 13, 16. And forget not to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the spiritual man. Just to reiterate, the spiritual man lays down his life in selfless service 
to the pleasing of God. Easy to preach, hard to do. I wonder if you would allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you over acts of selfishness and allow God to speak to you about selflessness. So the spiritual man lays down his life in selfless service to the Lord. The spiritual man is a noble person of integrity, honest, truthful, sincere, trustworthy, noble, reliable, moral, and upright. The spiritual man we saw last week was a man of prayer. He's also an encourager. He's humble in heart. He's a man of the scriptures, and he's separated from the things of the world. All these things, the Holy Spirit is working in us. And, you know, we just need to say, Lord, what is it that you want me to focus in on this week? Help me to, to, to hear your voice, to embrace that I might be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only deceiving ourselves. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Father, it's so easy to hear a message, walk away and forget it within 10 minutes. You've done that so often. My prayer today, Lord, is that each and every one of us would have the Holy Spirit bring truth to our heart. Lord, I ask you to bring truth to my heart. Remind me of this message. Help me to live this message, Lord. Help my brothers and sisters, Lord, not to forget this truth tomorrow and the next day. Lord, that we'd be trying to practice this, being a person of integrity, being a person who is selfless, laying down our lives for others. Lord, I pray that you do that for me. I pray that you do it for, for each and every one. You are working in us. Lord, we don't want to be ones who have ignored the promptings of the Spirit. We don't want to be having our ears tickled and then just forget. We want to be doers of your word. So Lord, I pray that you, you would bless and minister to us, Lord, and convict us of the changes that you are trying to work within us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 Praise God.